Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 21st, 2018. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And on today's edition, we're going to talk about Avengers Infinity War, Fear of the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, Star Trek Discovery, uh, Amazon shows, including Sam Esmail's Homecoming, Lore, Season 2, The Expanse, Good Omens, Jack Ryan, as well as Halloween, Venom, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Bumblebee and Ghostbusters World VR experience and to talk about that last batch of uh, Universal Sony and Paramount pictures I have with me Brad Oman and Chris Evangelista um, actually before we get into that I want to say uh, I want to put this out on the podcast and thank our team at home of Ben Pearson and Y Tran Bowie uh, they've been kicking ass, uh, and uh, us here in San Diego uh, appreciate their work very much. They, uh, there's been a lot of news going on today, and in, in normal circumstances, we may have even had an emergency podcast today, but we just can't cover all that on the podcast this week because of Comic-Con. Uh, we are currently standing in line for Hall H. We're on Friday night. We're standing in line waiting for the Hall H uh, wristband so we can get in for Saturday morning for the Warner Brothers panel, the big Warner Brothers panel. Chris, this is your first time experiencing this madness. Uh, <laughs> tell us what you think. Uh, I think this is a bad idea and they should reconsider it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I knew there was going to be lines. I knew getting into this that there were, you know, this was, this was part of the deal, but, uh, I was saying to Peter as I was walking through the lines, like that scene in Atonement when there's just like a one shot across Dunkirk and it just never ends. Just soldiers lined up on the beach. It's 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 disheartening. I don't know how people do this and my hat's off to people who uh, I guess enjoy this. Those people seem to love doing this and you know, more power to them, but I don't know. Yesterday you were describing it like the uh encampment uh, ca- or, uh, camps from uh, Children of Men. Yeah, it's like that too. They're, those shots where you're, they're on the bus and they look out the window and there's just people 
just the huddled masses sleeping. It's just, it's a, it's a it's a sight. It's quite a sight. <laughs> um, Brad, you're used to this. How is it compared to previous years here? I mean, it's just as much of a clusterfuck as it is every single year. Um, I I, I feel a little bit less pressure this year, only because. It feels like the way the schedule is situated, everything's pretty well spread out. But then there's also there's there's been a couple instances where we've had things like stacked on each other. Uh, specifically, Friday um, was was a bit of the, I think probably our craziest day. Usually it's Saturday where everything is a barrage of nonstop nonsense. But this time it's I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that it's less crazy on the work side of things, but as far as like the standing in lines and the the normal madness of Comic Con, that's still strong and typical. Yeah, well, let's start this out with your morning because you went over to uh, this area that's next to Petco Park called the Experience, and you experienced Ghostbusters World VR. What is that? So, Ghostbusters World is basically a new mobile game that is very similar to Pokemon Go and the Jurassic World Alive game. Uh, but it's based in the Ghostbusters universe. What's cool about the Ghostbusters... So you're trapping ghosts? Yeah, you're catching ghosts. You collect them in the same way that you do Pokemon. Uh, you have to catch them by using your proton pack and catching them in a trap. Um, and it's what's cool about this is they've kind of incorporated the best elements of both the Pokemon Go game and the Jurassic Park game. Because there's things that I like about each of them as far as how the game mechanics work and... Um, this actually makes catching the ghost a little bit more involved. It's just not as simple as throwing a ball at them, and it's even a little bit more involved than in the Jurassic World game where you have to shoot darts and collect DNA in order to create the dinosaur. This one, you actually kind of have to battle the ghost, and you have to uh, use the trap to, to catch it. There's also things like raid battles where you get to take down larger, more powerful ghosts like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and it takes multiple players to do it. What I also really enjoyed about this game um, the, the demo that I got to try out is uh, they're using Google Maps for this and while Pokemon Go and Jurassic Park also use Google Maps for their games what this does is it actually uses the 3D building uh, layout oh, of it cool. so when you're in the map you actually see the 3D representations of the buildings around you in the AR of the game itself which I thought was really cool because the maps on the other games are just flat and the only representation of the buildings is like a 2D like outline of them in the game itself and so there's um a lot of cool things where uh, it, it incorporates all of the uh, different ghostbusters universes into this one they grab ghosts from uh real ghostbusters extreme ghostbusters the comic books the movies it has different proton packs and weapons from the the movies um including the new ghostbusters reboot they have like the uh the little proton fist thing and stuff like that there's different ways to catch ghosts and they actually had the comic book writers uh, write all these different backgrounds for every single one of the ghosts. And they, they're supposed to have like 150 of them at launch. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. As a Ghostbusters fan, I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm excited to see what it's like to play. There's no definitive release date yet. It's supposed to be sometime later this year, but they're still working on some of the pieces of the game. And because we are in line, there's helicopters overhead. Uh, we can't control the sound elements here. They found me. I don't uh, know how, but they found me. <laughs> Run for it, Marty. <laughs> okay. Uh, what? Uh, how? What was the VR experience? There was no VR experience. Was oh, I thought it was VR. Okay. No, it's Ghostbusters AR. Okay, AR. Um, okay, let's move on to the actual movie panels. I guess let's start with uh, let's start with Glass. 
the M. Night Shyamalan sequel to Unbreakable and Split. Um, what, what did you think of what you saw? Uh, I thought it looked great. The panel was a little lackluster. And uh, Brad can elaborate on this too, but I'm pretty sure Bruce Willis was intoxicated. And so he. Allegedly. Allegedly. I said pretty sure. I, I, didn't, I, I have no confirmation on this. My what, sources what, haven't gotten back to me, but. What would make you think that Bruce Willis was drunk? He just. He didn't seem to know where he was. And everyone else on the stage kept trying to have to, like, engage him, and he didn't know what he was doing. But that said, the trailer, which everyone can see right now because it's available online, was great. Um, it, got me really excited. I'm a big fan of M. Night Shyamalan's work and Unbreakable and Split and you know I'm, I'm very excited to see this film. Uh, Brad do you have anything else to add to that? Um, I echo the sentiments about Bruce Willis's behavior <laughs> during the panel. He didn't say much but when he did he was slurring and he just said weird things. Um, but yeah. I, I remember when Kevin Smith was filming Cop Out. Uh, as Kevin Smith does every year he comes here and does a, a panel of storytelling and he once told the story of how he was on set telling Bruce that he was coming to Comic-Con. And Bruce Willis basically just made fun of him and was was making fun of Comic-Con, calling it Comic-Con. It's a good joke. Yeah. Comic-Con. I'm really, I'm really glad he went through with that. No, uh, <laughs> oh. I, I just never thought I would, I would see Bruce Willis uh, here. I don't well, think maybe he was back either. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with Chris. Uh, the trailer looks really cool. It, it wasn't really entirely what I was expecting, although I don't necessarily know what I was expecting. I'm, I'm fascinated by the premise because it's, it has Sarah Paulson playing this uh, psychiatrist or therapist, whatever you want to call it, um, who is basically treating Glass and uh, Kevin Wendell Crumb and uh, David Dunn for thinking that they are superheroes, essentially, that they, yeah. that they have these abilities. And I'm just wondering how that comes about and, you know, basically what the plot is and, like, like what Glass tries to do to team up with, you know, the Beast and, like, how the conflict with David Dunn arises between them. It's just, it, it's all very fascinating and very unique, uh, especially being, a, 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 it's a standout in a world where su there's superhero movies that are all very similar. And this is a superhero movie that doesn't really feel like a flat-out superhero movie, which is great because it's exactly what, you know, Unbreakable was. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see what this movie turns out to be. Um, and yeah, w watch the trailer because it's, it's very cool. You can watch the trailer on SlashFilm.com. Uh, it's something I have not done because I've been running around Comic-Con, Comic-Con, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to make this a it's thing, take guys. Off. No, uh, well, I think, I think Kevin Smith tries to make it a thing. I guess me giving a spotlight to it is I've done more than I should. Okay, uh, what... Um, what I wanted to ask is, when I saw this, I probably saw an earlier version of this trailer at CinemaCon. It looked very small. Like, it looked very, like... Yeah, this is by no means a, like, uh, big blockbuster action spectacle kind of movie. There, there's definitely some Well, great... I wasn't expecting that, but it looks like it's a few locations. It looks like very uh, middle... I... Well, I think initially, yeah, it feels like that. But then, like, there's a lot of quick flashes of stuff that happens later that you can't, it's not really... Yeah easy to tell what's going on but i'm pretty sure it'll expand more than a few locations yeah okay let's move on to talk about halloween that was uh chris that was your number one most anticipated yes, absolutely uh what what did you think of what you saw from halloween it was and uh, what did you see uh it was phenomenal so they showed us 
what I, it's like it was an extended trailer. It's, and it starts off with a, a lengthy clip, lengthy scene. And it's shot to look like it's one take, much like the opening of the original Halloween is, where we see Michael Myers. In this scene, we see Michael Myers just stalking around Haddonfield, picking up various, you know, weapons and just killing people. And it, it was shot in this very artistic way that I was not expecting. Like, I honestly think this might be, like, the best-looking Halloween film ever. I mean, I love the first Halloween. I love John Carpenter as a director, but that film has a bit of like at times like a flat look to it and this looked very dynamic it looked very uh stylish and i was not really expecting that and also it looks scary which i was not expecting either i'm i'm not easily like frightened by things i'm like desensitized to horror because i watch so much of it but the footage was so intense it got me like thinking this might actually be a genuinely scary movie so i'm i was already excited for this but this trailer pretty much put me uh you know over the moon I, I cannot wait to see this and i assume that trailer is online now. it's not or no no because it was it was like a length it was a, cl a clip that went into a trailer so i don't think they're actually going to release it oh crazy but i wrote up i wrote up a, a brief description of it so if you want to read about it you can read it on slashfilm.com fred do you have anything to add on halloween i mean no that's i, I was just as uh happy and excited and floored as, as chris was with this footage the the opening clip they showed us is so cool. Uh, it's it's such a seamless, smooth, single take as you follow Michael Myers around as he walks in and out of houses and you know lurks around, uh, and it do, it does some you know great things with uh, just the, the silence, much like the some of the shots that you see in the Carpenter movie. But then it also uses some of the the signature orchestral uh, cues that from the original movie as well at, at the right times. Um, and I, I, I hope that they use some of the footage that they use for like the, the fast cut trailer portion of what they showed us in the, whenever the next trailer comes out because there's some really cool stuff in there and it's just Jamie Lee Curtis, it looks like she's going to be great in this movie. Uh, you can tell she's really dedicated uh, you know, to the cause and like it feels refreshing this time and she's not just going through the motions because it's another Halloween sequel. This feels like it's going to be something special. Well, let's talk about um, Bumblebee. Uh, if we must. <laughs> well, why do you say that? No, Chris? it was fine. I, uh, I don't like the Transformer movies. I will say this might looks like the first Transformer movie I want to sort of see just because it looks like it has heart to it. It's not just a bunch of shit exploding, even though there was a lot of that in the trailer. The, the, the core dynamic between Bumblebee and uh, Haley Steinfeld's character looks like genuinely touching so i i'm going for that and it's clear they're they're emulating et because there's even a shot at the end of this trailer that's like i want to i'm not going to say scene for scene but it's literally just ripping off that moment in et where et wanders around elliot's house and like breaks stuff and gets into the fridge <laughs> and stuff like that but it's like bumblebee doing that yeah, it seems like et meets uh iron giant to yeah. me. uh they, so this trailer is also not online as far as i know yeah, they haven't released this there because this was another thing where they, it, it starts off with a lengthy clip and then it goes into a trailer. Brad, what did you think of Bumblebee? Uh, yeah, I am on the same page with Chris. Um, I think I was a little bit more tolerant of some of the Transformers movies that, than he might have been, but the franchise uh, inevitably just turned into uh, huge, you know, action sequences with robots smashing into each other and very difficult to tell the Autobots and Decepticons apart from each other. Um, too many complex plots feeding into each other. Too large of a cast. 
and this seems to like really bring things back into what made the first Transformers a little more interesting. Like, like Chris said, it has heart, um, it has a smaller cast, and I think one of the things I like about it and what a lot of more uh, original Transformers fans will like about it is that it calls back to the um, more simplistic style of Transformers. Uh, they're, they're given a lot less moving parts, you could say. Uh, they've added like some color to them that makes them look more like the what they call the G1 Transformers. Um, you even get a quick shot uh, during the, the, the fast cuts uh, trailer part of what they showed us of a hologram that Bumblebee sees that is Optimus Prime and it looks like he looks much more like his animated form as far as the colors and the character design is concerned. So I think this is going to be a little bit of a, a change of pace for what Michael Bay from what Michael Bay did with the Transformers movies and I, I hope that it's something that is uh, more than just, you know, the same blockbuster More than meets the eye. Did we learn anything about the movie that was interesting? Uh, um, they did. <laughs> they, they did tell us uh, that the, about what the third Decepticon in the movie is. Uh, not too long ago, we learned that two of the Decepticons in the movie are Shatter and Dropkick. They're uh, muscle cars. Um, they, we learned tonight that they are triple changers, so not only can they transform into cars, but they also transform into aerial vehicles. Shatter turns into a Harrier jet, and Dropkick turns into a helicopter. But there's also a third Decepticon named Blitzwing, who is a jet that is also uh, giving Bumblebee some trouble. And they, they gain the trust of uh, John Cena's military unit by telling them that Bumblebee is a fugitive. Uh, that they're trying to track down and so they're like okay well we'll help you as long as we get them off our planet you know of course um okay let's move on to spider-man into the spider-verse this is the sony animated project that uh includes multiple spider-man including peter parker and uh miles morales and others uh what what did we learn here what what did, what did we see uh this was so cool i, I was definitely looking forward to this because this movie looks like a uh, kind of Spider-Man we've never seen before. Plus, it also looks like a kind of animated movie we haven't seen before. The animation style in this movie is vibrant and bold and unique. Um, it's got it's it's sleek and polished. Um, it has, has such just a, a unique look to it, and it make it feels like you're entering basically a three-dimensional comic book. Yeah. And what's even cooler about it is it allows them to explore the Spider-Man universe in a way that they really can't effectively do in a live action movie and how they're doing it this time is the spider-verse is basically this uh collision of other dimensions um that i believe from what i can tell from the footage we're shown is being caused by kingpin working on some kind of collider particle collider in the middle of brooklyn that's causing these dimensions to cross over huh. and so uh that's how spider gwen shows up she's she's from another another dimension the peter parker that is helping Miles Morales is from another dimension. And then at the very end, they revealed even more of the uh, spider superpowered people, including Noir Spider-Man, who's voiced by Nicolas Cage, uh, Penny Parker, who is an anime style character who has a, uh, a, ro a, a robot that is uh, like a, called a spider robot. <laughs> and also uh, Spider-Ham, who is a pig that has spider powers. Um, Spider-Pig? Not Spider-Pig, it's Spider-Ham. Um, but same same basic idea, yeah. and it's voiced by John Mulaney. Um, and this movie, is, it looks like the, the perfect blend of comedy and action that you would come to expect from Phil Lord and Chris Miller as producers. And it's just something unique, and I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, how the whole movie turns out, because the, the footage they showed looked incredible. 
Chris, do you have any thoughts on Spider-Man? No, I think I said this before, but I remember when they first announced this, I was like, oh my God, another Spider-Man reboot. We do not need this, but this footage looks amazing. The movie looks really genuinely funny. Um, Jake Johnson's Peter Parker seems like hilarious. Like I'm, you might, based on the footage I saw here, like he's my new favorite Peter Parker in like of all the Peter Parkers, because he's just playing at him as this like, He's Peter Parker when he's like in his 40s, so he's like older and tired, and it's just, it's, I don't know. He's very aloof. It's like a Spider-Man has been, like, it's turned into like kind of a, a couch potato who doesn't really care much anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, th this footage was great. The, the visual style was amazing. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this. And you guys ended your day in climactic fashion in Hull H with the much, hugely anticipated Marvel film... Venom. Yeah, Venom into the universe. Yeah, I, I am being <laughs> facetious here. It's not anticipated by anybody. Uh, but you saw it, and it, it surprised you. It, it looks amazing. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Here's, here's the thing. I, I don't think that it looks terrible, but it just looks so uninteresting to me. Like, I mean, Tom Hardy's doing his best, and like he he does some incredible vocal work to the point that it's very strange hearing him talk normally during the panel because he has a much softer voice and he speaks in his normal British accent and if, you, if I would have heard Tom Hardy talk without seeing him I would have never guessed it was Tom Hardy that I was listening to it's, it's, it's very uh, disorienting but the footage itself it's, it looks like a dark kind of comic book movie and you worry it's, he's kind of this Jekyll Hyde scenario and the action sequences don't look all that exciting to me, even when it got to the point where it shows Venom facing off with another symbiote kind of person, which is not Carnage, at least not in this this trailer. It's the character Riot. Um, and it's did, did, did we get to see Venom with his tongue out? We, can't, we got to see plenty of tongue in action from <laughs> Venom. Was the tongue big? Oh, it's very big. It, it is a it is a thick tongue. <laughs> Chris, do you have anything to say about Venom? I just I don't think this movie looks terrible. I think it looks like a step backwards. It looks like like the Daredevil movie. That's what this looks like when before people had figured out you could do something more with comic book movies. It looks like Daredevil and Elektra, like those movies where it was like everyone's got a stupid costume and. It's just you know, it, it look it's a city and it's nondescript. I don't know. It's just I can't figure out who this movie is for because the trailer and the the panel they're like they're trying to act like Venom is like so friggin' cool and I don't think anyone thinks Venom is cool anymore. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But like the whole basis of this trailer is like, oh shit, Venom's here. But I can't. <laughs> it's like I can't imagine anyone who's like, yeah. Venom, like the whole trailer, it's, it seems like a joke. So I don't know. And and I heard the the panel was kind of a mess. It was. It started off where uh, everyone was the audience was supposed to have masks, I guess, and no one had them, and they were like, put your masks on and chant, we are Venom. And first of all, <laughs> I don't want to do this to begin with, but. <laughs> But like because ninety percent of the audience didn't have masks, everyone everyone in the audience was like whining. They were like, "We don't have masks," and so they wouldn't start the panel. And it was like, "Jesus Christ, I just want this to start. We don't need to go through this for the masks." And they definitely couldn't get the whole hall to chant, "We are Venom." Yeah, they were not into it. And then, and even more awkward was when uh, when Jessica Chobot uh, tried to uh, she's the moderator. She tried to get. Um, 
Rhett Reese. Or not Rhett Reese, sorry. Uh, who's Riz Ahmed? No, no, who's the director? Oh, Ruben Fleischer. Ruben Fleischer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, tried to get him to answer whether or not we, there might be a Spider-Man connection sometime in our future. And it was all just a bunch of tap dancing like, well, we'd love that to happen. Hey, Tom Hardy, don't you want to face off with Tom Holland? And he almost, he's like, he's like, oh, you want me to, to fight Tom Holland? He's like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll have some fun. You know, whatever. I'll, I'll fight a boy. Yeah, I'll fight a boy. <laughs> <laughs> this, this sounds like a disaster. I, in the Slack channel, you said... Uh, I forget what you said. You said this panel is a train wreck, it's and a, I responded just like the movie's gonna be. It's just it, oh, it made sad. me it made me so uncomfortable, and it was like the three guys: it was Ruben Fleischer, Riz Ahmed, and Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy clearly does not like to sell himself. He's an actor. He cares about his craft. And at Comic Con, you have to sell your movie, and he was clearly uncomfortable doing that. And Jessica Chobot kept trying to be like. Tom Hardy, tell us about why you like Venom. And he was just like, ah, uh, uh, like he would not give a straight answer. It feels like he's kind of a shy person. Yeah, yeah he, he definitely felt he, how he acts on stage is how I would act if I was on stage at Comic Con. Like, ah, uh, what am I doing here? <laughs> but he's like a huge actor, so it's just very strange to see him act so shy. But he was clearly uncomfortable. And Riz Ahmed said like two sentences and it was like this was a waste of time what and they showed a, a regular trailer but they didn't release the trailer online which is just baffling because unlike those previous trailers we mentioned which were lengthy clips this was just your standard trailer and they didn't put it up online so i don't know what they're waiting for they're doing a terrible job selling this movie they're waiting to release it during the warner brothers panel tomorrow oh. um actually one last question you guys before before i leave you uh, you know, this year Comic Con has lost Chris Hardwick because of, uh, I mean, reasons that uh, you can search on Google and, and find out yourself. Uh, and uh, replacing him has been a bevy of other moderators and hosts. So, what, I guess, Brad, because Chris has never been here and uh, a helicopter is trying to ruin this podcast. Okay, we're back, and Jacob Hall has joined us in line. Uh, so I was asking, uh, how does Comic-Con, Hall H, feel with the absence of Chris Hardwick as moderator? Oh, I will answer this directly because the past last year, Chris Hardwick did all the Walking Dead panels. He also he hosted Talking Dead and all those stuff on AMC. And this year, um, he's gone, and quite frankly, he's not missed because uh, Yvette Nicole Brown, uh, the actress comedian you may remember from Community, uh, who's now hosting Talking Dead, took over in moderation, and she did a great job. She was funny. Uh, she asked the right questions. Um, she kept things light without making it about herself, which is a problem with some people who try to make it funny. <laughs> um, and she just was gracious and knew how to read the room and how to read the panel. So Hardwick's gone, but I feel like it's, it's the old case of, like, you always hear, oh, we lost a really talented white guy. Well, all that means, no, we've got to find a really talented woman now, and you've met Nicole Brown prove that yeah there are people who are as good as Hardwick we just haven't been finding them very cool thank you guys I am now here with magician and nerd John Armstrong we just experienced uh, the group hug experience the Avengers group hug experience at yes. an offsite at Comic Con and we didn't actually hug they didn't actually make us hug which I thought they would actually make us hug 
but they didn't make yeah. us hug. Was that why you were so resistant to do this? Well, no, no offense, Peter. I just wasn't looking forward to hugging anybody or you. Well, mostly you. Okay, so yeah. I mean, usually when we have people on here, it's regular contributors. People know their work. Uh, so briefly, who are you, and uh, uh, why should people care what you think? I am a magician and a diehard Marvel fan, and uh, somebody who uh, takes the Marvel Cinematic Universe way too seriously. And by too seriously, we mean you've seen Infinity War how many times? 12 times. I've seen 12 times, yes. So far. So far. So far. <laughs> okay, uh, I apologize for the noise here, guys. We, we don't have a perfect recording situation here at Comic-Con. Yes, we're right outside of the traffic. Yeah, so uh, th th this uh, this offsite event was kind of fun. It basically, uh, after the events of Infinity War, it was a, a therapy session. Yes. And it played that way. They had a guy in there actually conducting like a like a, a fake like therapy session, asking us what we you know we felt about certain things and certain feelings that we got when we saw the the you know certain characters. This is obviously a spoiler for the movie. Here you go, spoiler <laughs> alert. But when we felt certain characters were you know dusted away, uh, which happens at the end of the film. Yeah, and uh, there was cool posters on the walls like "We Are Groot" and like inspirational things yes. based on. Marvel. You are more than 12% of a plan. Yeah, that one was good. Yes. Uh, but, okay, now people probably don't care about this, but if you're in San Diego this weekend, you might want to check this out because you do walk away with a cool t-shirt yeah. that says uh, Avengers Infinity War Group Hug, and then on the back says... Uh, I survived the snap. Yeah. And, oh, oh, spared by Thanos. No, spared by Thanos. Spared by Thanos. Yeah. And uh, also, you get to see an exclusive... Uh, never before uh, seen deleted scene yeah. from the film. We'll talk about it here really briefly. Yes. Uh, involves, uh, this is on Nowhere after uh, after uh, Gamora has been taken by Thanos. Correct. Uh, Drax is disconnecting Star-Lord Zune and Star-Lord is mad. Right, he is obviously, we don't actually hear the song, but you. he has obviously been listening to the Kiss song. He talks actually a lot about how you can't, deny me my uh, my kiss because I need to like be able to like listen to Axel freely because he's gonna he's gonna get me through this and then and then Drax calls uh, 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 them all a bunch of de degenerates you shouldn't be listening to this and they get into this big argument where he actually grabs the zoon and they're trying to play this basically a game of keep away with the zoon yeah uh, but this all results in a, a blame game of basically Star Lord blaming Drax right for uh, Gamora being taken by e Thanos exactly and then Drax blames yeah. Uh, Star-Lord, and that's when they notice this blinking light right. on the side of the yes, star. Yes, that Manus has been staring at in sort of this weird hypnotized way, and you realize, <laughs> yes, exactly, and then we realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's been this, met you've had the coded messages, these are special secret coded messages, why didn't you tell me that we had 22, what now, 23 special secret coded messages. Emergency messages. Emergency messages, and, and then they turn out to be the messages that Nebula has sent to let them know that um, Gamora is alive, that Thanos has taken her, and that uh, they are, uh, I guess, on Titan. Yeah, and they have the coordinates uh, for Titan. Uh, Star-Lord looks at the map and wonders if it is a trap. Yes, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. That ends, ends it right there. And then uh, after that, they gave us t-shirts and they did not make us hug. Yeah. Uh, oh, so there was donuts. There were donuts, too. There was donuts. There but donuts. What, what did you think of the footage? Uh, that was great. I mean, obviously, this is a scene uh, in the film uh, that didn't need to be there. Um, but it was fun. You know what I mean? And it was one of those things it's where... It's kind of like an explainer. It explains how they got there and how they learned about it. Yes. It, it gives you that information, but in such a long way that I can see why it would be a much, a much more... Um, co um, it would be a much better for the, for the film as a whole just to be able to cut it and go right to the next thing. Yeah. Although... In my mind, the Guardian stuff in 
Infinity War is some of the best stuff in that oh, movie. Oh, it really is. Uh, so it is a shame to, you know, see this on the cutting room floor, but it probably will be on the Blu-ray. Uh, it is funny in the aftermath of Star-Lord being blamed by yes. all these people for being responsible Absolutely. for everything that the scene actually has Drax blaming Blaming him, him yes. And, and, and I think it gives us a little more into Peter's sort of state of mind. So when he does what he does in Infinity War, which is basically ruin everything, um, <laughs> you can see that he's more, much more likely to do something this stupid because he just did something else just as stupid before. So uh, in that sense, it actually does help uh, make that a little more of an easier pill to swallow because a lot of people were like, really? That's, you know, that's the reason why uh, the Thanos wasn't uh, beaten? Oh, well. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, this, this pop-up, Experience is over next to Petco Park. Yes, and it's thing called the Experience, which has a like a Ghostbusters thing, a cloak and dagger thing. You can get Batman ice cream. Batman ice cream. That's why, didn't, kinda, why didn't we get Batman ice cream? Uh, we, it's a long line. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So check it out if you're here in San Diego this weekend. If you aren't, I'm sorry you missed it. You could pay uh, probably extravagant prices for these t-shirts on eBay. I'm, I'm sure. sure you will. Uh, John. Yes. If people wanted to find you, your work, or I guess. What I do. Uh, you or like watch videos of you. I mean, sure. you've been on television. I have. I've done some things. Anyway, um, cardjohn.com is my website, but you know. But that's where people can see videos? Sure. They can do that right there. Yeah. I'd highly recommend it. And now I am here with Jacob Hall, managing editor of slashfilm.com. He sat through a bunch of panels in Hall H today. It's Friday. Uh, and he saw The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, and Star Trek Discovery. Am I correct? Uh, that is correct. And it also set through the uh, Dr. Horrible 10-year anniversary panel, but that was just everyone from that thing riffing for an hour. Not Nothing exciting came out of it. Uh, but the f first thing I saw, like, that was an actual substantial panel was Fear the Walking Dead. And if you're like me and haven't watched Fear the Walking Dead since season one, it was really interesting to watch this panel because they're really selling it as a brand new show at this point. There's only one cast member from the pilot still alive on the show. And the entire cast is new otherwise. They've moved from... California and Mexico to Texas. They shoot in Austin, actually. <laughs> and Lenny James, who played Morgan on The Walking Dead, has made his way over to Fear the Walking Dead. So it, 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 they really sold it hard as this is a brand new show. If you haven't watched it, you know, give it a chance. They actually they kept on saying that in a way that made me uncomfortable. Like, like stop giving me the hard sell. I'm either going to watch this or I'm not. But um, it looks, for a show that was originally very sunny, very West Coast, it's now, it's now Texas. It's now like, you know, Central Texas. A lot of... Um, Deserts, a lot of um, a lot of that, that Texas fields and iconography and hill country, and they're they're taking advantage of location like the, the footage they showed in the trailer, which is on slashfilm.com. You can watch it there. There a tornado lifts up zombies and flings them across people, and it, 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 it looked like more Walking Dead. And no matter how they try to keep selling it as a brand new thing, and it is a brand new thing with new showrunners and a revamped cast. Watching, I can like, okay, this is nothing new. This is a, this maybe Fear the Walking Dead, but it's just more Walking Dead. Super polished, super bloody, super nihilistic uh, zombie action. Now I'm a little over it, but you know what? All power to the band, all power to people who like it. Still, it looks perfectly fine. One thing I did think was cool was that one of the new cast members is a, um, a disabled man in a wheelchair, played by an actual disabled actor who's actually in, in a wheelchair. And they're going to explore how somebody in that situation can survive the zombie apocalypse. And I thought that was a really cool uh, development. But beyond that, it felt like more Walking Dead. Okay, I guess with that, let's talk about The Walking Dead, yeah. the, uh, 
the franchise show, I guess, the one that started it all. Yeah, the parent show. The parent show. The one that everybody in that crowd was actually there to see, to be perfectly honest. And this is for season nine. Walking's been on for almost 10 years, guys. That's crazy to me. But the big news was actually something we've known for a while. Um, star Andrew Lincoln confirmed that he is, in fact, leaving the show after this season. Uh, Rick Grimes, whether he dies or departs or whatever, will no longer be a part of The Walking Dead. And this is really interesting for a few reasons. They've reached a point in the show where they've almost caught up to where the comics are, in, if you read the Image comic series of Walking Dead. And in the comics, there is a substantial time jump of four or five years. Uh, it catches up with um, Rick and the survivors as they've started to rebuild civilization. It's no, it's no longer, let's search for food and run. It's, it's become, let's build towns, build farms, and adapt to the world and rebuild civilization in, in, in a new image. And that's where the show is now. And this is actually where the comic got really good again after a slump. So even though I haven't watched Walking Dead in a few seasons, I saw this footage and said, oh, this is actually really cool because it's everyone on horseback using like handmade medieval weapons that they've made themselves as opposed to like scrounging for ammo. So it's a, it's a whole new thing. It's another soft reboot like Walk Fear to Walking Dead was. And it feels like the right choice because if they are going to kill off Rick Grimes, they have a whole new world and a whole, whole new show to adapt around him. Although interestingly, uh, Rick is still alive in the comics and is still a major character going forward. So you have to do some pretty major plot finagling if they're going to keep on following those storylines. But um, I can't say... Or they could just do their own thing. Or they could do their own thing, yeah. But they announced that Dan Fogler from um, Finesse Beast, where to find him, is joining the cast. as a character who's not from the comics, named Luke. But they also announced that Samantha Morton has joined the cast as a character named Alpha. And uh, this is why they, they are going to keep on the comics, because Alpha is the next big villain if you follow the comic chronology. Uh, Alpha leads a group called the Whisperers, which is an army of people who wear the flesh of, of, of zombies they've killed so they can blend in with zombies and believe that um, the only way to, for civilization to go forward is to reject civilization and essentially live amongst the undead. So the next big conflict in the comics, which you're adapting now, will be these people who essentially have adapted to the zombie world versus people who are trying to rebuild civilization, conflicting over what's the right way to do, which right way to go forward. And I found this compelling on the page, and Samantha Morton playing the leader of this group is a really good casting. I'm not sure if this is enough to get back to the show. I've been away for too long, and as much as I still enjoy the comic, the show has never quite captured what I love about that on the page. But it's see, see, I haven't watched the show in a, in a few years now, and to me, it was at its most boring when it was about humans fighting other humans and the <laughs> drama, and I liked it more when it was the zombie action. So now, now what you're describing does not sound interesting to me. I mean, this, this, this was like this. I, I really dug this in the comic, but. Like I said, there was no huge revelations at this panel beyond the, the casting and Andrew Lincoln leaving. I feel like they're just, they're, even though even as they're changing the show and moving forward with the world, uh, it's still The Walking Dead. It's still the same basic things, same basic themes. Uh, Angela Kang is a new showrunner, so they have some new, some fresh blood at the helm. Uh, will, will this make it worth watching again? I don't know. I know I know a lot of fans who are really frustrated by the last two seasons, really frustrated by how dark the show got. and not The show has always been dark, but get to the point where it was brutally bashing the head of fan favorites and, and reveling in it in, in ways that people were really genuinely upset about. So uh, I'm curious if this is a fresh start, if this is the second wind, or if it's just more of the same. It felt like more of the same with some with some fresh paint, but we'll see. Okay, let's talk to the uh, talk about the third and final show that you saw today. Uh, that was Star Trek Discovery. They just got done with their first season on CBS All Access, the premium CBS streaming app. Uh, I did not make it through that first season. I know that you caught up uh, in preparation for this panel at Comic-Con. Yeah, I did. Uh, what, what, what is your, uh, before we talk about what you saw, whatever, like, what is your feeling on this show? It is good Star Trek, um, which is 
high praise for our first season of Star Trek because you go back and watch the first season of Next Gen, of Deep Space Nine, of Voyager, it's all, Enterprise, they're all, they're all bad. Every Star Trek show finds its Deep voice. Deep Space Nine is a little bit better than the a little rest, bit better. I think. But, yeah. but, the, but the heights of Deep Space Nine that they've reached in seasons uh, four through seven, they take some years to find that voice. So uh, Enterprise, um, two, Enterprise didn't get good until season three and four. Um, so I watched Star Trek Discovery and said, okay, they're finding what they are. Maybe they'll get better in season two like every other Trek series has. And we saw a sizzle reel of footage. Uh, this may be online. Um, it, it's, it's not at the time of recording this. Uh, that was just the hint that told what the plot of season two is, which is that um, Captain uh, Christopher Pike, the first captain of the, of the Enterprise before uh, James C. Kirk, played by uh, uh, Jeffrey Hunter in the original series, played by uh, Bruce Greenwood in the reboot movies, he has arrived on the Enterprise to commandeer the Discovery to investigate a series of signals that have popped up across the galaxy that are, are extraterrestrial origin. Starfleet doesn't know what they are. They could be a warning. They could be a threat. They could be a greeting. But they're going to go find out what they are and explore the galaxy and um, get to the bottom of it. It's a very much an exploration-based um, season of television, which really excited me because I think Star Trek is at its best when it's saying, let's go and boldly go. Let's explore. Yeah. But, yeah. but visiting new worlds and new creatures, that's expensive. Oh, yeah. But this looked expensive. Like, it, like it, uh, even when, it, even though Discovery had its moments in season one where it was like, oh, we're using the same set again, it's not a cheap show. And this footage looked nice. It looked really, hey, it looked slick. I um, looked very action-packed. It's a lot of aliens. It's a lot of practical makeup. It's a lot of CGI space flight. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen. And the big reveal of the trailer was that, um, as you may remember, the main character of uh, Star Trek Discovery, Samika Martin-Green's uh, Michael Burnham, is the foster sister of Spock, who, who originally served on the Enterprise under Captain Pike. So the question is, um, will we see Spock this season? And the answer is yes. Uh, Alex Kurtzman confirms the panel, and in the actual panel, uh, I'm sorry, in the actual footage, uh, we saw that Spock has taken leave of absence of the Enterprise, has gone missing, and is somehow connected to the alien signals across the galaxy. So. Essentially, it's a search for Spock <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> searching for Spock, searching for these alien signals, trying to figure out what's going on. And there's it, it some fun stuff. Like, we saw the um, CGI model for the old school Enterprise. Uh, Captain Pike is wearing the old school uh, yellow Captain's uniform instead of the new Discovery uniforms. So, uh, oh, and most excitingly, um, they announced that uh, Rebecca Romaine is playing number one. Who you may remember is the female first officer, played by Majel Barrett Roddenberry, and the original Star Trek pilot. And number one was like, at the time, sort of like, oh, a female first officer really had her time. And then she was gone by the time the show actually was hit the hit series. Yeah. But since she exists in canon, uh, the original pilot with, uh, as Captain Pike's number one, um, she's back. And she's Rebecca Romaine. And um, they couldn't say anything more. But it's really, really fun. This character who's always been like a, a really interesting footnote in Trotter history is being promoted to like a main character again. Okay. You, you, you spent some good time in Hull H today. I just want to touch on, like, this, this is an interesting year for Comic-Con. It's uh, a lot of people aren't here, you know, HBO, Marvel. Uh, it seems a little bit more low-key. By low-key, I mean, for me, walking the show floor seems busier because less people are waiting in line, less people are in these panels. At least from my perspective, more people are actually crowding, you know, the show floor and, like, the walkways. If you want, like, food here, it's, like, a half-an-hour wait. Uh I wanted to hear what you, what it's like for from your perspective. Like Hall H, it, it, it has been easier to get into like panels this year. Um, let's put it this way: as press, I we occasionally get um, passes to get in the panels, yeah. and I had one for Fear the Walking Dead. So, but um, so I showed up a couple hours early just to scope things out, and the line to get into Hall H was so small that I literally walked in. It took me two minutes to walk into Hall H, 
and empty seats remained around me for all of Fear of Walking Dead, all of Walking Dead, and all of Star Trek Discovery. So, and to put this in perspective, last year, um, I had to fight tooth and nail to get into the Hall H for uh, Walking Dead. And it, was, I think it involved hours of waiting in line, and it was packed with no empty seats. So even the hot tickets like Walking Dead, which is everywhere at Comic-Con, even on our badges, yeah. it's not packing it in like it did last year. Very interesting. Uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you, Jacob. Okay, now I am here with another Armstrong. You just heard earlier from oh, John Armstrong. Yeah, he was on the podcast on this <laughs> podcast. So I am here with uh, his better half, Vanessa yes, Armstrong. Very true. Uh, we just got out of the Amazon panel, the Amazon uh, Prime panel. They showcased a lot of their TV shows, including the new Sam Esmel TV series Homecoming. Uh, the Expanse uh, is yeah. now going to be on Amazon. Uh, Lore Season 2, and we got to see a full episode of Jack Ryan. Am I missing something? Good, Good omens. omens. Good Omens. The Neil, Neil Gaiman, Gaiman show. Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, yes. Yes. Uh, so I guess, I, actually, let's start off with that. Okay. Uh, tell us about Neil, uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, new TV series. Yeah, so uh, Neil Gaiman was on stage, and um, as always, he uh, gave a nice um, overview of his experience um, showrunning this show, and also his, his love of writing the book with Terry Pratchett, and how it's... The book is now 28 years old and a big fan favorite. Um, one thing he did mention here during the Q&A was that um, they announced that uh, Frances McDormand's going to be playing the voice of God and how he actually ended up casting her. Um, they're actually looking for casting and they wanted a woman. They wanted someone who had an American accent. And she just happened to randomly email him asking if he could, she could stay at his house in Scotland. Like he had never met her. Um, and he said yes. And That's by the way, so funny. By the way, like, is I that guess, how it works in I guess Hollywood? That people you... all know each other and have houses in Scotland. So, no, but even if you don't know each other, you could just <laughs> ask to stay at your your house in Scotland. Yeah, like... maybe I should email Neil Gaiman and ask if I can stay in his house in Scotland. Um, who knows? It sounds like that works. <laughs> well, she ended up getting a role because of that. Uh, th there's a clip that they showed, like a kind of making of production yes. video, which you can find on slashfilm.com. Uh, me watching it, not having read the book, it looked very British. Looked, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. I yeah. think that's it is a British, two British writers, so <laughs> that works. Um, I mean, it looked interesting. I'm not sure if it's my cup of tea, uh, but you are more of like you know, you love Doctor Who, you love you love those kind of things. Yeah, Neil Gaiman's one of my favorite writers, so I was, um, I have been very excited about this, and um, I just think the whole aesthetic at it of it, um, which you can see in the the online video, is is pretty amazing. And yeah, I, I I have high hopes, and I think it'll be great. I can't wait for when it comes out in 2019. I'm a big fan of Mr. Robot and Sam Esmel. I, uh, so I was excited to see his see some details from his new series, Homecoming. Um, this is based on a podcast, which I have not listened to or know anything about. Uh, they showed a teaser trailer, which wasn't even a Didn't teaser really trailer. Didn't share much, except Julia Roberts was in it. Yeah, Julia Roberts was in it, and, it, and uh, immaculately framed dolly shots uh in very sam esmel style of like just picking where to put the shot uh he said that he's not planning to change things from the uh the podcast that much that uh but the changes he will make will surprise people so th that's not really <laughs> we really didn't yeah, get much and there he mentioned with the music right that he didn't have a composer Oh yeah, he's using seventies uh, clips from seventies scores for his uh, for the score for this 
series, which is interesting because he, he's just so stylistic with his shows anyways, and that just seems like a so him thing to do. Um, we should move on to uh, Lore. Lore, they showed uh, a teaser trailer for season two. Gail Ann. Very scary, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably what everybody needs to know. I mean, the, the trailer's online. People can go watch it. Gail Ann Hurd, the showrunner, was on stage, and she basically said this is scarier than the last one, and that uh, that uh, I think four of the the six stories are from the podcast, and two are original, although obviously all of them are based in reality in some sort. I don't know. It doesn't look very real <laughs> to me, but like I, I, I guess not. it is. Maybe it's like a, you know, like myths or myths. Yeah. Or something. But very bloody, very gothic, very scary. Uh, what else did we see? We saw, well, there's um, we saw so a, much, short, by the way. a short clip of The Expanse. So and I'm sure a lot of people are very excited that um, The Expanse got uh, picked up by Amazon Prime. Uh, so the showrunner is here for that as well. Um, and basically it was just a celebration of that. Um, they had a sort of a thank you video of uh, most of the actors just saying thank you to everyone. Uh, and the yeah, show we'll, we'll, we'll embed that in your report. Yeah, and the other thing is, um, uh, they intimated that um, you know, without going into spoilers about the show, basically something happens at the end of season three that will make um, the world that the Expanse takes place in much bigger, um, you know, beyond the solar system, so to speak. So, uh, having read all the books and, and knowing at least what's happening in the coming in the books, I am very excited to see that uh, as well. So the question is, now that this show is going from sci-fi to Amazon, how is that going to change the show? They talked a little right. bit about that. Yeah, yeah, and I was really excited about this. Um, Avrasala, who's uh, the president of the Earth, basically, um, a leader of Earth in the series and in the TV show, in the books, she swears like a sailor, like every other word she drops is an F-bomb. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. And when they're on sci-fi, they couldn't really do that for reasons um but they don't have that restriction on amazon so uh there was a big cheer in the audience um when he mentioned that specifically just because uh she's one of my favorite characters i think she's a fan favorite and it'll be great to see her her unleashed in terms of being able to swear whenever she wants and he also said there's gonna be nudity or i'm not sure if he said there's gonna be nudity he said there's no restrictions there's no restrictions yeah Uh, so i don't know what that'll be but but the (laughs) thing that excites me actually is and i'm a big fan of this a lot of uh new tv shows including sam esmail's uh, Mr. Robot do this is you're not constricted to the 45 minute right, uh, yeah. storytelling uh, frame so he, he's excited to tell stories that are you know that break out of that and that's kind of cool as well yeah. uh, but they surprised us today the, the big uh, reveal I guess was a full episode from of Jack Ryan the Carlton Cuse adaptation of John Clancy uh, Tom or Tom Clancy, Clancy Tom sorry Clancy, yeah. uh, uh, we've seen him portrayed on the big screen, Ben Affleck and Harrison Ford, uh, Harrison Ford yeah, yeah. Uh, many times. Yeah. Uh, how is this different? Yeah, um, you know, it's present day, so that's a bit different. Um, obviously, when Harrison Ford and Alec Baldwin were doing it, that was you know yeah. a different time. Um, and I think they did a good job with that. It, it's very present. Um, I thought it was a you know it's sort of a slow burn, at least the first episode in terms of setting everything up. Um, and the other, yeah, because it, yeah. it starts with him as a desk jockey, kind of like playing. Which is funny because John Krasinski is the, the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a CIA analyst. Yeah. Uh, he's very smart. He's very charming. It feels honestly almost feels like a '90s movie to me. It starts uh, off like yeah, it's a little yeah. 
but then he kind of gets pulled, you know, without going getting into spoilers. I mean, it's probably the the highlight of all the trailers, but he kind of gets pulled into the action in a right, big way. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and um, again, without getting into spoilers, I thought they also did a good job because um, we got to see the first episode uh, during the panel. Um, is that they made the the bad guy, you know, a fleshed out character who has you know a story of why he's like he is. So um, I'm look, looking forward to see, seeing how that develops. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going into this all around San Diego. There's banners for Jack, uh, uh, Jack Ryan. There's like a whole experience. Uh, and I was kind of making fun of it. And then I saw this first episode, which is probably something I would have never watched otherwise. Same. And I was kind of like, oh, maybe I would watch that. Yeah. If I, if I, if I needed something to binge, yeah. maybe I'd take a look. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it. Uh, it does... It's trying to do the gritty thing of it's being shot kind of like in the Middle East or it's set in the Middle East. I'm not sure where it was shot. But it doesn't quite look as gritty as like Homeland or like the things that like really... Oh, yeah. No, he's definitely like a... And they they call him out for that. And that's what Jack Ryan character is. He's a, you know, he's a Boy Scout. He's a, you know, a good guy, very moral and all that. Um, So it's sort of a a different um, type of hero than, you know, the Jack Bauer of 24. Yeah. Um, but it seems like Amazon's really committed to it because they're already shooting, shooting season two. Yeah, shooting season two. In South America. Do you think John Krasinski is regretting this? Now that he's become a big auteur, like with the a Quiet Place. Oh, right, yeah. Like, do you think, like, this is now getting in the way of, like, you know, people want him to direct movies and yeah, he's kind of stuck in this Amazon series yeah. that people probably aren't going to care about. Tough, tough problem to have, but uh, I don't feel that bad for him. But, but yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that because that was definitely an unexpected hit, the, the, his, his movie. But, you know what? I don't feel that bad. I think he'll be fine either way. <laughs> and uh, since this is the only time I've, I've talked to you for the podcast, yeah. uh, what have you seen outside of here, uh, outside of Amazon, yeah. that you've been excited about? Yeah, um, well, I went, was in the Doctor Who panel, um, so you mentioned I was a Whovian, so I was very excited about that, uh, especially with there being a new Doctor, so that was fantastic. Um, and the other thing I do is actually, I think, sort of um, a sleeper panel at Comic-Con. It's, uh, it's called The Great Debate. Um, and basically, uh, I've always heard about this. But it's I've never fun. Been. It's fun because like no one really knows what it is, which is great. Cause, you know, which means you can get in, which is great. And <laughs> basically, it's like a British style like judging show where they have a bunch of people who are funny. So like John Berriman was on it. Aisha Tyler, uh, uh, Taylor um, moderated it, and they just asked silly questions like, "Who is the best captain and why?" And each get a captain, and then the audience has sort of like an up or down sign to vote on it. So those, that's oh, always fun. really fun. Yeah, so that's sort of the second year I've done that one, and that's that's been, um, you know, a new favorite of mine for sure. Yeah, and then just walking the floor and... You also did the yeah. Ready Player One thing. Yes, oh, that was great, especially because I don't like the book or the movie. It's <laughs> <laughs> by um, far the best of, of If you don't of like the book or the movie, why would you enjoy this? Uh, so, well, explain what it is, actually. Yeah, right? so basically it's a, it's a walkthrough experience where, if you're familiar with, either the book or the movie, where you basically walk through scenes in the movie. So first you, get in, it, um, you go through, um, it's kind of escape room, but it's a five minute thing where you basically have to do some trivia. Um, and it, it's, set, it's uh, set up like um, the main character's house in the stacks in Cleveland. Um, and then you walk through, as you know in the movie, there's a whole Shining scene where you're actually in the hotel in The yeah. Shining. And that was actually the one part of the movie I liked because I love The Shining, so I thought that was great. <laughs> 
Um, so basically you get to walk through. That was the part that wasn't in the books, right? Correct. That yeah. was not in the book. Um, and so you, you get to walk through and, um, you know, they even have the, the room 237 with the, the shower scene and you can, if you really want to, pretend to be the ghost in the shower. Which and you the, did, right? Which I totally did. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they just had like an arcade room where you could play pinball or, you know, yeah. old 80s games. And yeah, so that was a lot of fun. So if people are listening to this while you're in San Diego, this is going to be publishing on Saturday. Uh, you'll probably have to wait in a really long line at this point to get in there, but uh, is it worth it? I think it's I think it's worth it. I would say it's a two-hour line worth wait. <laughs> I like how we we value things at Comic Con and like the amount of time in line. Yeah. Is it worth that amount? Yeah, of time especially if you really like those shows or you know are a big '80s nut. Um, it's really fun. Well, Vanessa, thanks for talking with me. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Slash Film Daily. As always, you can find this podcast published every weekday on SlashFilm.com and all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your questions, comments, concerns, and feedback to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Uh, if uh, you can, please go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you tomorrow with Warner Brothers, the big Warner Brothers family. You're not going to want to miss that.